on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around the head of Jesus. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Instead, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God, still speaking today. Thanks be to God. Thank be to God. So we have the disciples, Mary, Peter, and John, who on that first resurrection morning, they were rocked in their faith because of the large stone, this large stone. They had expected it to be where it had been placed, across the entrance to the tomb. But it had been moved away. And the truth is, they'd already stumbled through a field of rocks on their faith and spiritual journey with Jesus. They had stumbled upon the rock of unbelief, the rock of misplaced enthusiasm, the rock of worldly possessions tripped some of them up. The rock of little faith, not enough faith. 
the rock of clouded understanding and the rock of confusion, not sure what's going on, what should I do? The rock of disappointment when they saw Christ crucified. They came to that garden tomb expecting that rock to be in place. However, it was not where it was supposed to be. When they arrived at the tomb, they discovered it had been rolled away. It was rolled away not so that a revivified Jesus could walk out of the opening. See, the glorified Jesus has been changed. He's morphing, a molecular restructuring that we cannot comprehend. He is no longer limited by closed doors, by walls, or even a stone. No, the earthquake rattled the ground and that rock, that large stone rolled back, it rolled away, so that everyone could see the tomb was empty. That large stone was a visible reminder of the resurrecting power of Christ and God. God is in the rock removal business, you could say. For some of us, it's easy to let that rock roll back into and close up that tomb of Jesus. It's easy for our lives to be sealed off to the evidence of the resurrection and the new life through Christ. It's easy to just let that rock settle in with a thud, barring us from enjoying the visible evidence of God's presence in our lives and in the world. But your spiritual pilgrimage has taken you far. It's brought you many reward, rewards. And yet for many of us here today, with a lifetime of faithful following Christ, we feel like we just haven't quite reached it. We're, there's something blocking us. There's something that's incomplete in our lives. You've already rolled aside many of the rocks that you came across that tried to block your faith. For some of us, it may have been the rock of arrogance that we have rolled away. Maybe you rolled away the rock of indifference. Maybe you rolled away the rock of guilt. Maybe you rolled away the rock of compulsive behavior. The rock of insecurity for some had blocked them from experiencing Christ. Maybe you roll away the rock of misunderstanding. And for some of us, we have rolled away the rock of having an unforgiving spirit. You have been rocking and rolling, we could say, seriously. You are a growing, faithful person. We're all different. We all take our faith seriously especially the call that God places on each of our lives. Yet maybe you feel that you just aren't quite there yet. Maybe there's something larger in your life that's blocking you from experiencing the resurrection power of the risen Christ Jesus. You're in good company. Many 
have gone before us. I always say we stand on the shoulders of the saints who have gone before us. The Apostle Paul felt that same way himself. He wrote in Philippians, not that I have already reached the goal. He was still striving to reach that goal. And what was that goal? He said, Christ and the power of his resurrection. The rock that stood in Paul's way was his cultural pedigree and his pride. He was raised as a Pharisee. He knew the right way to worship God. He knew what God wanted, he thought. What is the rock standing in your way? Maybe, I certainly don't know, but maybe you don't know either. There's a man, his name is Bob Buford. And he found out and discovered a, a rock that was blocking his faith. He was the CEO of Buford Television Inc., a very successful businessman. He founded something called the Leadership Network that's been in leading churches and organizations for over 25 years. And he talked about this journey he took in a book he wrote called Half Time. For him, the rock that stood between him and a meaningful spiritual life was the tremendous success that he was experiencing in his life. But while he had all the success, he felt that something was missing. And that book is the story of his journey from a life of success to a life of significance. He compares his life to a football game. In the first half, he was preoccupied with achieving the material goals that he had in life. All those things he'd been chasing after. But that quest also required him to relegate to second place, third place, sometimes even fourth and fifth place, other parts of his life, like family and friends, church, and yes, even God. As he was approaching midlife, he took some time off. And during this time of reflection and self-assessment, he asked himself a lot of questions. And what emerged from this reflective time, what he calls his half-time, was a different strategy for the next chapter of his life. We all need to take time off at different parts, different times in our lives. Perhaps Easter Sunday is the alert to take some time off. Our journey has brought us here to this Resurrection Sunday. What rock stands in your way from seeing the risen Christ in your faith and your life? What might be blocking you from experiencing God in your life today? For the Apostle Paul, that rock was his pedigree and his pride. For Bob Buford, his rock was just his phenomenal success. Again, what might be blocking you from experiencing the risen Christ in your life? When we stand at an impasse, because of a seemingly unmovable object. I don't know what it is. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we can identify it, but we don't know how to get around it. What we need to realize is that the large stone that's impeding us 
can only be moved by the power of God and the power of God's love for us. That large stone that was blocking the tomb of Jesus was a tangible sign of God's love. Scripture says Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. That signified that that first half, that part of those disciples' journeys, Mary and Peter and, and John, all of them, it had ended. They were now at half time. They needed time to reflect and regroup. And time to reflect and regroup is just as important for each of us today. Seemingly unmovable objects may appear in our lives, and if we don't take time to reflect and regroup, we face the certainty of being worn down physically, mentally, and spiritually. Taking a rest break, taking to hear from Jesus is what restores us, refreshes us for whatever happens next in our life. That's the difference between the first half and the next half. One is self. The other is God. One is uncertainty. The other is finding true significance. Mary encountered that risen Jesus, and that began the second part of her discipleship journey with Jesus Christ. It says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Right there is the first apostle sent by Jesus to the other apostles, Mary. Go and tell them. Mary sent by Christ to others who would soon share that news. And when we're in a close relationship with Christ, we realize that meaning cannot be found in self alone. St. Augustine said that we should seek not self as true good, but that true good of self, which is God, he said. The true God of self is God. The love of God is an immovable object, an unstoppable force, and not because it has power and prestige with it. Instead, the dynamic, unrelenting power of God's love comes from the way that it's offered to all. God's love is poured out from Christ through the Holy Spirit into our lives and into the world. God's love cannot be stopped. It's a love that isn't trapped by fear or attachment. It's a love that's not hoarded onto, but rather it's poured out. God pours his, out, his love out into our lives and it overflows into the lives of people around us. Because the unstoppable love of God has no end, its power and is in how it is given away. It's poured out. That large stone, sealed and secure, was moved by the power of God's love. 
What we can say for certain is that the kind of love that Christ offers us isn't stopped by the likes of death, despair, greed, trauma, or fear. Christ's love for us finds us even when we're in the, even when we're in the depths of fear and confusion. Like Mary was when she discovered the empty tomb. She watched her friends, Peter and John, rush to the tomb, look in, shrug, and they walked away. The kind of love that Christ offers us is rugged and is vivid. In the midst of pain as it is in the triumphs of joy. The joy and power of the Easter story is how even the worst of human hate, when they crucify Christ to the cross, is shown not to measure up to the power of love that raised Christ's body from the dead. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The simple truth is, God's love always wins. Earlier we sang these words, We serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he is always near. Why do we sing those words? Because God's love always wins. Be joyful for this Easter, not only for the happiness that lays on the surface, but also for the journey that brings us into the next part of our life. Nothing in your life today, nothing in the world tomorrow, nothing in your past can separate you from God's eternal love. Christ is in power and glory forever and ever. God's love wins always. Amen.